Morning, Trinity Church. How is everyone doing today? Good? Fantastic. Great. I have a huge task ahead of me today. We'll be going through Nehemiah chapter 6 and 7. Well, we'll be spending most of our time in 6 and towards the end we'll, uh, we'll just brush through 7. But <laughs> grab your Bibles or your smartphones and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. For those of us who are joining us here for the first time, a warm welcome. Uh, we are going through the series of, of Nehemiah. We are looking at the book of Nehemiah and the story is about a man who is caught up in the purposes of God. Uh, he, was, he was a cupbearer to a Persian king named Artaxerxes and he hears uh, over there, while he was there, he was, he was leading quite an influential life. He had quite an influential position in the king's palace. He ate from the king's table. He, he, he was living with the best of comforts in those times. But when God catches up with him, he hears about the fallen walls of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem was, was the identity for these Jews was their identity. Jerusalem was once the city where the glory of God dwelt, yeah. and now it was in ruins. Mm -hmm. And so when he heard about the ruined condition of the walls, the ruined conditions of the city, ruined conditions of, of the people, he, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed, and then he felt in his heart that God is calling him to go and build the walls of Jerusalem. Very good. Yeah. And then so he goes. And no sooner he goes, right from the start, he's bombarded. He's bombarded with stuff. He's bombarded with opposition after opposition. He's uh, discouragement after discouragement. I mean, we've seen already in chapter 2 where he's mocked and ridiculed, where these trio of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they get together and, and they see, what are you guys doing? What are you feeble Jews doing? In chapter 4, they come together and they say, are you going to revive the stones from this heap of rubbish? If a fox walled on these walls, the wall will collapse. He was mocked, he was ridiculed, and, and they came together and plotted confusion. I mean, last week we saw how the poor were oppressed in this situation. Steve took us beautifully, all those stories. Thank you so very much, Steve, for encouraging us so well. And, and those inspiring stories where people were looking at God and not at the situations that they were in. But in the midst of all this mockery and ridicule and confusion and discouragement, Nehemiah was looking to God. He was a man of prayer. Nehemiah's response was always one, God, I know that your hand is upon us. God, I know that you are with us. God, see us through. God, fight for us. God, remember me. God, remember us. Remember your people. He was always going upwards. God, remember us. And the same can be true for us. When God calls us to do his work, no sooner you set into that, you are faced with opposition and discouragement. I mean, that, can, that is very true for my own self, for my own, many, many of you would know my story, I've shared this already, but I come from a Muslim background, and I was living my own life, I was, I was living my, my life on my own terms, and I was very happy with what I was doing for God, but at the same time, I was not sure of my salvation, I was not sure if, 
if God, if God would accept me into his presence when I go there, when I go and see my maker. Because a crushing thought came into my mind, I remember when I was a conscious age, that, Abdullah, what about your wrongs? What about the sins that you have committed all this life? What are you going to do with that? So, out, but I still continued my life anyway. So outwardly, I lived with this false confidence that no, 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 Islam is the best. That's the most right religion. But inwardly, I was hollow. I was saying, God, is this going to be enough? Is this ever going to be enough? And I could have done that for the rest of my life. If seven years ago, I wouldn't have had that encounter with Jesus. And I heard the gospel, when I heard the good news of Jesus Christ, he said, all the wrongs that you have done would be separated from you as far as east is from the west. And I said, Lord, I'm going to give my life to this. And I believed in Jesus from that day on. And no sooner that I believed in Jesus from that day on, it was almost like I came under a, a radar of, an active radar of the enemy. That there was almost a, someone who was going after me saying, take him down, take them down, take this family down. So uh, there was one thing after the other. There were oppression, there were distractions, there was, there was there were problem after problem. Friends went against us. There were health issues that popped one after the other. We were, the community said, we don't, we don't want you here. And now very recently, our families, my family has said, we don't want you here. Take this Jesus of yours and go wherever you want to. We don't want you here. But I will not be surprised if many of you would say that, ah, that's my story. I've been going through similar things, but in different ways. I won't be surprised hearing that, because as soon as we say yes to Jesus, yeah. you're almost under a radar and saying, no, take him down, take them down. I mean, we, we just prayed for Steve and Heather. We saw what happened at the farm. We, we heard about the stories, and we said, ah, our hearts are with you, Steve and Heather. And in our passage today, in our friend Nehemiah's life, we see quite a similar situation. So he is called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He has gone there. He's done most of the work. is finished. The wall is almost ready, except the doors and the gates. And that's when this trial, this Tom, Dick, and Harry, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, <laughs> they get together. <laughs> they get together, and this is what happens. This is what happens. Now when Sanballat, so Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at the Hakifirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I would say that this was distraction. This was distraction right from the word go. Ever since Nehemiah set his foot to go to Jerusalem, the Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobiah have been a thorn on his side. Everything that Nehemiah did, they came and they opposed. But that did not stop Nehemiah from doing what God had called him to do. The invite from Sanballat and Geshem seemed very friendly on the surface. It almost sounds like, come on, let's get together. 
let's bury the hatchet, let's clean the air, let's, we're going to be neighbors anyway, come on, let's, let's get together and sort things out, let's chat things out. But God gave insight to Nehemiah into his enemies and Nehemiah could read between the lines. He said, no, what they mean is harm, they intend to do me harm. And he said, no. And he didn't say no just once or twice. The scripture says that he said he had to say no four times. Yeah. Quite a persistent crowd there. <laughs> Verses 3 onwards. And I had sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. Now Nehemiah's response was quite brief and to the point. He said, I'm doing a great work and I, if I leave this work, this work will stop. He understood the, the depth of the work that he was involved in. He understood that what he's doing is far bigger than him. What he's doing is, is going to be spoken about in the years and years to come. It would speak about the faithfulness of God. It would speak how God was there while they were building it. In fact, God was helping them build the wall around Jerusalem. It, will, it is something that will last for eternity. And that is why he says, I must not lose my focus. Yeah, very good. I must not lose my focus. He said no in a polite way, and he stuck to that answer. No, I'm not coming down. Just a very quick application on this. We may ask these questions to our own selves about distraction. I mean, I'm saying we, that means I'm including my own self as well. So it's not something like you're there and I'm here and I've got this sorted and I'm including myself here. On a very personal level, I can ask this question to my own self. How am I doing? How is my soul doing? What are the things that are distracting me from getting into a deeper relationship with God? I mean, the first thing that I get up in the morning, do I, do I bury my face in the book of God or do I bury myself in Facebook? Is that the first thing that I do in the morning? How is my relationship going with God? Am I being distracted by thousands of other things that need my attention at the same time? Or how are, how are we doing at our workplaces, on professional life? How are we doing there? Because sometimes what can happen is that it's very much possible that in your workplaces, you may be the only gospel. The only way that people would come to know Jesus would be you. And if you are distracted from God, what God has called you to do, how, I mean, there are questions that raise up, and how am I doing there? How, how do I get hold of the stuff that God has called me to do? Am I being distracted? I don't want to be distracted. Or as a community, when we come together on Sunday mornings, what are those things that I need to change or what are those distractions that I need to get rid of on Saturday evenings that make that make it possible for me to come here on Sunday mornings to be with this family to be with this congregation to be with this church to be with this community what are those distractions that I can get rid of I mean I, I have said this oh I was not well really I was not well my head was spinning I was really unwell I couldn't get up on Sunday morning I've said this before and there is a particular term for this sort of head pain on Saturday evenings, on Sunday mornings. It's called hangover. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, one of the things that are distracting me from being one community. At Trinity, if we want to be known, we want to be known for a culture of family. 
We want to be known as a family of, 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 of small little families coming together into a big family. And so if we are struggling with something, if we are distracted by things, I always get to go to my brothers and say that, yeah, I, I, I'm struggling with this. Would you help me, please? Let's run this race together. Let's go hand in hand and say, come on, Lord, we're going to be, we want to grow in you together. Let's not be distracted by stuff around us. Amen. 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 Let's move on. So this was about distraction. Now, distraction came to Nehemiah not just once, as we've seen, but four times. And he kept right on target. He was focused. But these guys wouldn't give up. They were a persistent bunch for, for various other reasons. But finally, for the fifth time, they do something very different and very nasty. In verse 5, it says, In the same way, Sanballat, for the, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, Sanballat sends an open letter. When distraction doesn't work, the enemy would try to discredit you. So discretion, second is discredit you. Usually when they send letters, they seal them with their personal seals. So that when the, when the reader receives a letter, he would know where exactly it's come from. It makes it more official and it makes it more personal. It is a personal message that is exchanged between two parties. However, the open letter was very dangerous. It was a public declaration which was supposed to be possibly read in a, in, a, in a market square or something, in a town square, where this will be for the public, for, for the common public to know that this is what is happening. And something of that sort was happening here. Today, it would be like posting something on Facebook that all our friends can see and comment. It would be something, something like posting on Twitter where friends can comment when people can comment and there is a trolling campaign that starts there. The point of an open letter was meant to be like a smear campaign. And Sanballat and Tobiah were making every effort to discredit and disgrace Nehemiah's name. Take a look at the content of the, of the open letter, verses 6 and 7. It says, It is reported among the nations that Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So come, come now and let us take counsel together. I mean, the contents of this letter were created only to plant fear. Only to plant fear. Because when fear is planted, people get paralyzed. And when people get paralyzed, the work stops. And that was the idea behind this open letter. Now, some of the things that I read, and, and I, I almost felt like, oh man, this is funny. And probably Nehemiah would have chuckled in a very irritating way, saying, oh, seriously, these guys? I mean, one of the things it says, they made it sound like really official. It has been reported among the nations. That is such a lie. <laughs> Nothing was reported among the nations. It was these guys who were writing this letter. Nothing was being reported among the nations. And the funny bit was, he said, oh, by the way, Geshem agrees with it. I mean, who is Geshem? <laughs> Geshem is one of them. <laughs> He's one of the thugs who's trying to raw people. 
Who is Geshem as if, if Geshem says it's true, it must be true. Yeah. Come on, no. That was utter wrong. Utter, utter. Blame. What they were trying to do is to spread rumors against Nehemiah's name. There was gossiping. There was tattling going on there. And maybe some of us would have been in that situation. That there were, there were, maybe there are rumors that have gone around in the office, in your workplaces. There, have, there are rumors which have gone around in families. And at this point, time, point of time, you must be thinking, how do I respond to those rumors? How do I get my name off? Or how do I give clarifications to these things? But look at how Nehemiah responds to these. He didn't feel the need to go down and be bogged down by every single point that they made. He didn't say that, ah, oh, let me make this clear. This, this thing about the king that you, made, that you said, uh, no, 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 I'm not the king. And here are my witnesses. And this thing about setting up prophets that you mentioned, no, 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 I've not done anything of that sort. And here are our people who can say that I've not been doing anything of that sort. That's not what he does. That's not what he does. What he does is this. Verse 8, he says, No such thing as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Basically what he's saying is, you're crazy. He's just making things up. You're just coming up with stuff. He refutes their accusations with the truth. And he exposes their motives. Their goal was to make them afraid. And when people become fearful, they get paralyzed and they stop working. But when Nehemiah does what he does best, he prays to God. He takes all those accusations and he takes them back to God. Because he's a man of prayer. It's his life. It's his source of strength. That's where he draws, draws strength. And those exact words come out of his mouth. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Verse 9. That prayer, those short little prayers, when, when sometimes we are stressed about something, we say, oh God, please help me before this interview. Oh God, please help me in this exam. Give me, give me wisdom, those one-liners. And that's what he does. God, strengthen my hands. Yes. Strengthen my hands. Nehemiah wasn't a superman. He was just a normal man. And he admitted that he needed God. He was not afraid of admitting that. And so these... There, there, there may be times when we stand in this situation and we say, Lord, strengthen my hands. I need you. So there is discouragement. There is, there is uh, discredit. There is distraction. There is discredit, discrediting of the name. And after that, Senballat and Tobiah, at this point, are really getting desperate to stop him from building the walls, to stop finishing off the work, to stop laying off the doors in the gates. Because if that, if that happens, these people will be able to defend themselves. And that is exactly what the enemy doesn't want. So they come up with their third and their final attack, where they, they try to get him to disobey God. So distract, discredit, and disobey God. And this one is a spiritual one. It's a spiritual deception and the hardest to detect. Look at verse 10, what he says. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. 
He makes sure that he puts that word within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Shemaiah was probably a, a priest because he had access to temple and that gave him some credibility. Now, if a person whom you trust, if he comes running to you saying that your life is in danger, they are coming to kill you, they're coming to kill you tonight, come on, let's run, run tonight, just now, now, you would be able to say that, yes, I should believe him because he has some credibility. Those words will have some weight because you trust this person. But this is exactly where Nehemiah's prayer life, his high-level connections with God, his insight into the scriptures, his discernment, his courage kicks in. And this is where he says, should such a man as I run away? And what man as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Nehemiah quickly understood that God did not send Shemaiah. He could smell a rat in this situation. Because what Shemaiah was telling Nehemiah to do was exactly opposite of the written code. The word of God. That was exactly opposite. In those days, temple was a place where only priests could go. And Nehemiah knew that from the scriptures. Nehemiah knew that from the scriptures. So the prophecy of Shemaiah and the written word weren't coinciding. They weren't aligning. They weren't going together. So only he knew to what should I be giving the preference at this point of time. To the word of man or to the word of God. And of course he chose the word of God and he said, No, I'm not going to go into the temple. And we are taught very much the same thing in the New Testament. I mean, Luke writes about these Berian or Brian Jews. Tomato, tomato, Brian, Berian. Um, he writes in Acts 17, he says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. I mean, imagine a group of people sitting and, and listening and getting this message, taking this message in very eagerly, and then they are going back to the scriptures and saying, let's check what Paul is saying. Is that true? I mean, they're checking Paul, who is, by the grace of God, who, who has almost written in some way, shape or form, one third of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. But they're checking Paul. They're examining what, he, what he's saying is true or not. Is he, is he aligning with the written code, with the written word of God? So how much? How much more this is for you and I? Yeah. How much more are we, are we to apply this to our own lives? Let's be like the Bereans. Let's be like these Berean Jews who are positive examples of how individuals and communities are to receive these teachings of God, the teaching, the biblical teaching. If you ever come across the crossroads where you are fighting in your heart and in your mind, what should I believe? Should I believe the prophecy, the word of man, or should I be believing the word of God, which is the written code? It's a no-brainer. Just go for the word of God, of course. Anyway, moving on to Nehemiah, looking at, the, looking at his response to all the nasty tactics 
done against him. He just gives everything to God and in verse 14 he says, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. That has been his strength. Strength to keep standing and standing firm because he keeps giving things back to God. He's ridiculed, he's mocked, he faces discouragement. People have lied over his life and they cause him to dis disobey God. But he keeps going back to God. God, in you I stand. In you I'm strong. Nehemiah doesn't give up. He keeps persevering. He keeps building. He keeps facing this opposition, but he keeps going back to God and saying, God, in you I stand strong. And he keeps building. At the same time, he keeps building. And as a result of that, as a result of this, the wall is completed in 52 days. Hallelujah. The wall is completed in 52 days. I mean, quite incredible. The wall was 16 feet thick, 20 to 50 feet high, and it ran for two miles long. It ran for two miles long. And it's finished off, all has been finished without any modern day technology in 52 days. I mean, that is ridiculously remarkable. I mean, how could you do that? How could you do that? The answer, the answer is here. Nehemiah gives us the answer. If I ask him, how could you do that? Nehemiah would say, in verse 16, he said, when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work has been accomplished with the help of our God. Brilliant. With the help of our God. So God was glorified through Nehemiah building the walls. Yes. God was glorified through Nehemiah building these walls. Because everyone acknowledged that God had done it. Even their enemies couldn't help but acknowledge God. So much so that they started fearing they, they started losing their self-confidence because that was the difference between Nehemiah and his enemies, isn't it? Their confidence was in them, themselves, whereas Nehemiah's confidence was in God. Yes. Nehemiah's confidence was in God. And this is how we are called to live our lives as well. When assignments that we have been given at our workplaces, when we complete them, when we fulfill them and we give them back, when we see the fruit of our labor, the fruit of our hard work, when the beacons, the, the, the ch children workers, the children leaders and workers here uh, massage those Bible stories in children, when they, when they teach them those object lessons and when they see the fruit of their labor in children, that's how God is glorified. God is glorified through all those hard work that we put in there. His name is lifted high. And as we move on, we might not have the time to look at all the details, but one thing that happens here is that the wall has been completed now, and Nehemiah moves his focus from the wall to this group of people. The walls have been built, but now he moves his focus from, from the wall to the restoration of these people in, in the city, because they are not in a good condition. Because he sees that the spiritual condition of the people and, the, and he realizes that they're not in a good place. There was blindness, there was lostness in the, in the people of the city and what they needed was a spiritual awakening. 
Sounds familiar? Sounds familiar. This is where we are at this point of time. After all, God had sent Nehemiah not just for the walls, not just because he loved the walls to be built in Jerusalem. God had sent Nehemiah so that he wanted to see his people rest restored. Yes. Because he loved his people. Yeah. And friends, God loves London. God loves London, not just because of its infrastructure, not because of London's vastness, not just because all the technological development that is here, but he loves London because he loves Londoners. Yes. He loves the people of this city. Yes. That's why he loves London. And that is why he has sent us, sent you and me to penetrate the city with the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord to penetrate, to go into every nook and corner of the city and make Jesus famous in this place and build the walls of his kingdom. Amen. Build the walls of his kingdom. Wall that does not bring divide, but actually protects the city. Beautiful. Protects the city. In Nehemiah 7, verse 4, he says, The city was large and spacious, but there were only a few people living in it. So Nehemiah begins to help those, those living there. He appoints gatekeepers, he appoints singers and Levites. He gives people a purpose with responsibilities to take care of. He gives them authority with a sense of stewardness by giving them control over the gates. Something very interesting happens here. He, he puts Hananiah in charge of Jerusalem and he puts Hananiah in charge of the citadel. And the reason what he says is because they were men of integrity and feared God more than other men. These days the world says to us, oh, keep your faith with you. Keep your faith to yourself. We don't need to hear that. The world says you can believe whatever you want, but keep it to yourself. These guys were actually given the job because they, they put their faith on display for others to see. That's why, that's why Nehemiah could say that these men fear God more than any other man. It was because of their faith in God that they got these, these jobs. Let's take our faith everywhere we go. Let's take Jesus to our workplaces. Let's take Jesus to our schools and universities. Let's take Jesus to, to any celebration gathering, to, to the birthday parties, to weddings, to funerals, or whatever it is. Wherever we're going, we take Jesus along with us. We take Jesus while we travel. When we come into London or go out of into, from, the, from the center, we go back to, we take Jesus with us. In, our, in and out of the train, in and out of the bus, and wherever we are going. I want to read all the names mentioned in chapter 7. I just wanted to see that reaction. <laughs> no, I'm not going to read any names or anything of that sort. But no, seriously, while I was preparing, I was looking at the details that are mentioned with the names and the sons and the fathers and the sons of the servants and fathers of this. And I was like, whoa, this is huge detail. This is huge detail. The sons, the priests, the temple servants. There is huge detail mentioned. And if I, if I was to translate this for, for our Trinity Church, I would say that, oh, this church is built up with so-and-so people. There are, there are men, women, and children from the United Kingdom. There are men, women, and children from South Africa. 
parents. There are men, women, and children from India. There are men, women, and children coming from different parts of the world. God is interested in every single one of us. Every single one of us. I mean, they've written down the numbers of number of singers, male and female. Not just, not just male and female singers, but their horses, their camels, their donkeys. <laughs> I mean, again, if I translate that, as Richard, Richard, I would have taken your Jaguar into consideration and bike into, into consideration. <laughs> I would have taken Darren's seven-seater, which he served us so well in those initial days when we had to come in early in the morning and he sacrificed his early morning sweet sleep there and he loaded his car with stuff and we came here and we set the place up. Yeah. That was sacrifice involved. Many others who were involved coming in early and saying that no, this is my, my early morning is not about my early morning is going to be here because I'm, gonna, I'm building something big. Yeah. I'm doing something greater than myself. I'm doing this for the glory of God. But in all of this, I wonder what Nehemiah would have done with GDPR. <laughs> Don't you think so? In those days I was thinking, man, what, what about GDPR? What would he have done with that? Anyway, last Sunday in the prayer meeting, <laughs> before the main meeting, uh, Jackie bought a word for us. And she said, we are like pieces of these puzzles in this God's big picture. And as each one of us come together, as our stories come together, this God's big picture is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. And that is what is happening here. God is beginning to gather people. And the, and the process of restoration has started. And next week we'll see what restoration begins, how, how that begins. But, but the, gather, the gathering process has already started. What does restoration look like for us? What does restoration look like for us? We are restored when we put our faith in God and Lord of Nehemiah, Jesus Christ. That's restoration for us. That is restoration for us. Jesus Christ, who was the active agent in the creation, who was involved in the creation very actively, and everything that was created in the creation, Jesus, who built the wall of his kingdom on this earth. It was Jesus who was on earth when he was on earth. Just like Nehemiah, he was mocked and ridiculed. He was distracted. He was discouraged. He was spat upon. He was discredited and oppressed and afflicted, but he remained quiet. It was this Jesus who was led like a lamb to the slaughter, but he remained silent. And when he was breathing his last by giving his life on the cross for our sins, what he said was, forgive them, Father, forgive them. And all of this, and all of this to make us clean, to make us righteous. All of this to take away every blemish of sin from our lives. That's restoration. All of this to make us right 
with God and to welcome us into his presence. All of this to make us one with the Father and as he and the Father are one. All of this to make us one with each other. To give a father to fatherless and mother to motherless. All of this for restore, restoring us, for reconciling us back to God. If you are an, if you're not a believer here, I would, I would say that this is the day of restoration. This is the message of restoration and reconciliation. If, not, if you have not put your faith in Jesus and you say, this restoration looks beautiful, Come, going back to God looks beautiful, and you can do that even today. Even today. I mean, towards the end, we can, you can grab one of us here and, and we would be privileged to pray with you. For those who are, who are believers here already, followers of Jesus, know that we are going to face opposition. That's a given thing. We are going to face opposition. So let's not be surprised with what happens, but let's be prepared. Pray that God would strengthen us during these times. That God would not let the enemy get us distracted from what he has called us to do. Let's stay focused. Let's stay on the target. Let's stick to the work and the word of God that strengthens us. And the name of our Lord Jesus.